Welcome back to Seek a Strength Podcast. This is our third episode. We're here with the artist formerly known as Scott University, <laughs> also known as Dr. Aaron Horsig. He's here in Barry's Fitness doing a two-day seminar on all things squats, uh, rehab, prehab, all that good stuff. He's the author of the Squat Bible. He's um, maybe one of the best people on the internet putting out content. Yeah, regards mobility. Definitely the most reliable. Yeah, most reliable. <laughs> if you watch any stuff, you'll know it's um, it's very clear. It's very practical. Sometimes people in Aaron's field, it's kind of a bit too. It's a bit too technical and such that it's not very applicable unless you're in a clinical situation with a clinician. Whereas Aaron's stuff is just really colourful, really nice colours. Yeah. Nice clear talking. Yeah. Demonstrating. Put your hand in the band. Do this. And then you do it, and it works. The amount of times you'll see, you'll put up a video on like a Tuesday, <laughs> and then you'll be like flicking through Instagram stories, yeah. and next thing you see like four people, you know, in a CrossFit yeah, yeah, gym yeah. doing like external <laughs> yeah. shoulder rotation. You see people just walking around like, yeah, just like this or something. <laughs> so uh, tell us a bit about yourself. What's your What's your background? Yeah. Well, first, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Yeah. On, I mean, the third episode, I'm appreciative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having me on, so I mean, hopefully, we'll make this one a good episode. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I am a physical therapist or physiotherapist by background and trade. Yeah. Um, I've been working as one since graduating with my doctorate back in 2012. So I got a couple years under my belt right now. But my background before that. I've always been into weightlifting and strength training. I uh, started competing in weightlifting in 2005. Okay. And uh, while I'm a very average weightlifter, yeah. I really love training and competing uh, and yeah. trying to do as well as I could. So, Can we get um, your best numbers? What's up? Best snatch. Best snatch ever, I believe, in competition. I know for sure once in training I did yeah. 112 kilos. That's right? good. Which, as an 85-kilo nice. weightlifter, yeah. but my best clean and jerking competition was 150. Nice. So nice. my yeah. numbers probably, I should have been much better in the snatch. It's the love-hate relationship. Yeah. yeah. When you hit a good snatch, it's yeah. like the best feeling in the world. And then 90% of the time, I'm missing things that I know I should make. It's yeah. the worst it's feeling very in the world. <laughs> it's the worst feeling in the world. Whereas like clean and jerk, I mean, I started doing clean and jerks when I was, you know, 12 years old, oh, really? 13 years old. So yeah. my weight, my high school coach um, was very big into powerlifting. And that was definitely when people started doing like the bigger, stronger, faster things. So it was yeah. like bench, clean, deadlift, yeah. power clean. Yeah, yeah. And squat, yeah. So, yeah. like, I started doing cleans when I was in high school. We didn't really snatch ever until I got into weightlifting in college, and I found there was a weightlifting team at Truman State University. And I'm like, I've been in the weight room my whole life. Yeah. I yeah. enjoy this. Yeah. I'm not playing their traditional sports anymore. I was like, you mean to tell me, because I didn't really know about weightlifting. Yeah. In America, at least at, in 2005, Jesus, yeah. it's not popular. No, Like, no, there's no. maybe a couple thousand people in the entire country that are competing in the sport of weightlifting or, you know, I have USAW yep. memberships. Yeah. So I find this school and I'm like, I'm done playing baseball and football. And I find there's an Olympic weightlifting team. I'm like, wait, so you tell me you guys just come to the weight room, yeah. you lift every day and then yeah. you get to go compete. In yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I was like, let's do that. So I started training like four or five days a week, you know, yeah. starting in, in college at 18 years old and did that until I'm 32 right now. And I think my last competition was 2016. I went to the uh, 2015 US Open, um, nice. which was like my last national meet that I ever went yeah. to. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a very average weightlifter. I think the best I ever did. Uh, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did two, the 2011 U.S. Nationals. I was uh, able to play sixth. Uh, a nice. number of people, uh, I think, above me that were much stronger ended yeah. up getting injured that day and pulling out, but I don't oh, care. Man. I still doesn't take matter. that sixth matter. place. So you win, you win that day. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, but that was yeah. at the time, if you guys remember the name Kendrick Ferris yeah, yeah, from yeah, the yeah. U.S. I mean, one of the yeah. strongest American Very lifters strong. ever. Like, yeah. there was a time in that meet, because I won group B. Yeah. 
he was in group A, yeah. and he had only taken one of his snatches. So technically, at that time, yeah. Aaron Horschig was in first <laughs> right place. Yeah. And I took a picture of that, and I will forever That's take legit. it. No, <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, but basically, the big thing. So I have that history in weightlifting. Yeah. And then I came in, and every single weightlifter, every single strength athlete, mm-hmm. never goes through an entire year without getting some type of injury. Definitely your enough. knee starts to ache. Your elbow starts to ache. Something's going wrong. It's just not feeling good. And what do you do? You maybe Google search yeah. how to fix my back pain. And yeah. what do you yeah. find? There's so many different answers. And who do you trust? And some people, it's like stupid information. It's like, yeah. do this stretch. And you're like, I did that. That yeah. doesn't help at all. And then you get some people, it's written from a doctor's perspective. And we would call it the ivory tower. You know, yeah. they're sitting yeah. up with all their research and all their scholarly, you know, accreditations and all the letters behind their name. And they're talking down to you with these big words and you don't understand it. Yeah. So you're like, yeah. I, can't, I don't know what to do. So what do you do? You just end up keeping pushing through it because you're very performance driven. You're looking at your next goal, your next meet. And you're like, I can't stop training because then I'll lose all my gains. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the big thing I wanted to do is I wanted to start putting out information to help people realize that they can improve their technique, can improve, you know, and work on those aches and pains, but do so in a way I want to communicate to you in your language. Yeah. Probably because I came there from the start. Like I was a weightlifter before I became a doctor of physical therapy. So I can talk to you about all those things on a one-on-one basis because I've experienced it myself. Yeah. Like I remember dealing with a horrible tendonitis in my left knee prior to starting the 2011, like I was maybe eight weeks out from the 2011 U S championships. And I mean, my knee was hurting so bad. And I went to one of my physical therapy teachers and I'm like, what do I do? He's like, well, how often are you lifting? I'm like, well, three days a week, I'm pulling two a days right now. And then the other day, so I'm getting, I have one day where I'm completely off of training. He's like, stop lifting so much. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) that's good advice. I was like, great advice. Awesome. (laughs) I I have a humongous meat, probably the biggest meat I'll ever be in, in my life. And your best advice is stop Stop lifting so much. So I'm like, and that's that's coming from someone who's supposed to be teaching me, you know? So I was like, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. So literally I've poured myself into the research and clinical application and teaching others so that I can better myself so I can teach other people, but then talk to you in a way that you can understand and you can understand so that in the end we can try to make as big of an impact on the world when we're teaching everyone. We're not teaching. I'm not trying to teach other physical therapists. Now the information that I give out is very applicable to the physiotherapist because they're going to then be teaching other people. Yeah, yeah. But I want to impact the people that I can talk to because that's where I love, you know, I don't often use the technical jargon as well as probably I could. There's no need to really. I don't don't really need to. Yeah. And I don't really like that. I mean, what do they say? That the dumbest uh, doctor that graduates in the class He's still called doctor. Yeah. Right? yeah you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like, yeah. I always found that while I may not have ever been the most book smart physiotherapist in yeah. school, I was able to understand things in a way that I can continue progressing. Yeah. But I'm also understanding them in a way that I can connect with people on a much better basis. Because I think there really is a thing at being if you're too book smart. If yeah. you're too mm-hmm. book smart, you can't necessarily relate to Johnny, the weightlifter who's 19 because yeah. he doesn't yeah. speak your language. So if you come down and you're like, well, your flexion, internal rotation, mm-hmm. range of motion plus 90 degrees is, mm-hmm. you know, causing this impingement. They're like, what? Yeah. But if I say, hey, when you bring your arm up to the inside, whenever you're doing a push press, you're creating a lot of compression that's smashing things together. Yeah. They're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And how often have you gone to like a physio and they give you like an A4 sheet of paper with three stick men drawn on it yeah and these like kind of bizarre exercises that yeah. and you're doing them at home and you're doing them like three times a day yeah. and you feel nothing when you're doing them yeah. whereas like a really applied approach is just so much 
easier to actually stick to and adhere to. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing too, is like literally everything or most things that I have talked about on social media, I've dealt with myself. Yeah. yeah. Like I've dealt with all these pains and I know what it feels like to be frustrated when you can't find the fix or yeah. the things that you do try to find, they're not working. Yeah. So not only do I have my own personal experience with those things, but I also have been helping people as a physio working for, you know, the past seven, eight plus years now, you know, and I see the changes, you know, it's yeah. not like I'm just using myself as the only example i've worked with thousands of athletes yeah i've taken yeah. thousands of athletes from i'm hurt to i'm competing again and it's not just i'm getting you out of pain but i'm working with athletes that are trying to get back to a high level of competition yeah which is a totally different thing than let me just get you out of pain yeah because i'm not gonna lie it doesn't take a very genius physio to take you out of pain a lot of times yeah, you just remove yeah. the, what's causing the pain. You do some symptom control things, some light stretching, some deep yeah. tissue. There's a number of different modalities that we can use to get you out of pain. But to take that person and then progress them out of their imbalance, out of their dysfunction, into a point where they're lifting and performing at a high quality and they're not going to re-injure themselves, yeah. that's, what yeah. that's what a true good physio, especially in the sports world, that's what we can do. Yeah. And there's a number of people out there, I just have found that, where my niche is, yeah. is the weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit world. Because I'm like, that's, I love training. Like, I can't yeah. go a week without, if I'm not touching a barbell. Yeah. Like, this next week where we're on vacation, I'm trying to look for some gyms. I got some. We'll, we'll put you in contact with some. Yeah. Yeah. Like, It'll I know, be. like, I messaged you maybe before Christmas. And I was yeah. like, my leg is sore. I can't squat. Help me iron. <laughs> <laughs> basically, it was a short of it, you know. And, like, yeah. I didn't care why it was, realistically, I didn't really care why it was sore. I was like, I can barely squat 200 kilos now. And I really, really need to, like, need to fix this. Yeah. And I think maybe they within three or four days want you to direct me towards and made a massive difference. Mm -hmm. So like it's it's uh, it's very impressive. Like yeah, it was really noticeable the differences actually. Yeah. Um, in your squatting, like and the weaknesses, because no. you like when you're used to training with Gurf or you're used to seeing Gurf train, like squats look strong, snatches look strong, clean and jerks look strong, strict presses look really weak, mm. but he's like <laughs> when things look really really strong and then suddenly you see Gurf doing like a split squat where he's like a banded distraction out to yeah. the side and it's like yeah the whole thing is like this like the, the most wobbly thing you've ever seen in your life and then it's like oh this is like a really clear weakness yeah well that's the thing too is a lot of times as as weightlifters and powerlifters i mean we're not weak athletes yeah you know yeah. so the traditional strength tests that we give people pass with flying colors yeah so yeah. to a number you know you may be having pain and you go to a number of physios or doctors into the traditional strength test the way i look at you you're strong you don't have imbalances but if i can find certain tests that's yeah. the difference between strength and stability so strength is just your ability to produce force push press yeah stability is your ability to limit excessive or unwanted motion so if i have your arms right here and i push your arm in you could be very strong at a pushing motion, mm -hmm. but you may have a very difficult time resisting my arm pushing in because you have some uh, very weak or unstable rotator cuff muscles. So that's the difference in then how we approach the fixes. So you would have someone, like you said, that has a very strong squat or very strong deadlift, but you put a band on their knees and try to pull it in. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden you're putting a stress on the body that's different and yeah. they can't uh, acclimate their body and change their body to adapt to meet the demands of stability and then things start shaking around. Yeah. So that's the goal though. If you have someone that has an issue, is you got to find the position where you can put them in to make them look silly. Yeah. Basically, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I have to expose you yeah. to a position where all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, there's a light bulb moment that just yeah. went on. That, that's why I'm hurting. Like, yeah. yeah. It's because you, yeah. this exposes the, the imbalance. Is the answer ever 
to stop doing it. So you know, everyone has an experience when they yeah. visit a physio or a doctor, and they're like, "Oh, just stop doing it," and you stop hurting, and you're like, "That's great." Mm-hmm. But like, have you ever? How often is the answer you need to just rest it for a minute, or is the answer almost always find a movement that you can do that doesn't hurt and do that movement? I would always say it depends. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. that's a very cop on answer. But here's why: yeah. uh, it depends on what type of injury we're dealing with, mm-hmm. and the person that we're dealing with when they're. Uh, competition schedules coming up as far as we're dealing with a competitive athlete. My big thing I always tell people is I want you to train what you can train will we fix what we can fix. Yeah. Now, let's say, for example, we're dealing with someone with really bad, like, patellar quad tendinopathy. Yeah. The reason That's for that is often... common one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's the reason we develop that isn't necessarily because of a movement-related issue. It's because of overload. So your training volume and intensity has put too much load on your tendons, and it's exceeded your current strength tolerance or load tolerance capacity of your tendon. So you don't think a movement pattern is the one causing that? Usually not. Really? Usually, yeah. Usually true tendinopathy. Now, here's yeah. the deal. A lot of times people have pain in their tendons, and they think it's tendinopathy but it's not what is it? so there's it's more of like a patella femoral so like coming oh, from the yeah. knee joint itself oh. so like a compression issue in yeah. which case yes uh like the biomechanics the way in which you move yeah. that can definitely be the cause of your pain so you think so if someone has absolutely perfect motor patterns perfect yes. pattern you think regardless eventually there's a certain load that will cause the noise yes you could so yeah. let, let's say for example um you right now you've been training for how many years uh but Eight years. Eight years. And you're a pretty strong guy. So your tendons have grown to adapt to a certain load tolerance level. So let's say we look at like a thermometer and it's risen to 20 degrees. Yep. Okay. Now let's say that's based on your current load tolerance. You have strengthened your tendons to 20. Now you've only been training, let's say three years. So your load tolerance level likely is a little bit lower. You're at like 10 degrees. Okay. Now both of you go in the gym one day and you do 10 sets of 10 back squat at a very similar rate putting similar forces on your bodies. Let's say you're twins. So we can say biomechanically, everything's yep. very similar. Yeah. Well, that load may have gone to and required like 18 degrees, yeah. you know, of, yeah. of load. Yeah. You're fine. You exceeded your load tolerance level. Yeah. You created a cellular adaptation and over response in your cells of the tendon. Now, normal, it's a normal response yeah. to have a little uh, adaption and then take back. That's how our tendons grow and adapt. But if it's too much, if we overloaded too much, the, the response, the cellular response is so great that it can cause reaction, which is then that's where you get a little bit of swelling. The next day you wake yeah. up with a little bit of pain. Now, yeah. again, you woke up a little bit of pain, things hurt a little bit. You're a power lifter, you're a weight lifter. You don't take time off. Right? Yeah, you, yeah, you keep yeah. on pushing. Next day's deadlifts, right? Yeah. So you go to the gym and now you're pushing a lot with that as well. Well, if you don't stop at that instance and let it rest, and I'm talking at first, it may just be a day off. Yeah. Just do your deadlifts on Thursday instead of on Wednesday. Something like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you continue pushing through pain, you continue the injury. So now all of a sudden you've pushed past the early reaction stage and now things are starting to change even more. And all of a sudden there's a cellular response that the actual tendon tissues start degrading a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then if you keep on pushing, I'm talking this is like weeks and months. Yeah. But eventually you start getting small holes in your tendon where the tendon tissue has actually died off a little bit. So it can become a very big injury, but all because you didn't manage your load appropriately. And what does yeah. the person do then when that happens? So in that instance, I need to take him out of deadlifting, out of squatting. Now, that may not be completely, mm-hmm. because if I completely take it out and then I'm just doing light things, what's happening to his current load tolerance level? He was at 10, mm-hmm. now he's his load tolerance low. level is dropping yeah. because he's not loading at all. Okay. So in that instance, I gotta find things that he can be doing pain-free. So like, 
let's say uh, a full depth squat with 100 kilos was creating pain. Well, what if I do 100 kilos and I have you do a box squat and I do a tempo, three second down, two second pause in the box, three second up. Slow tempo squats with heavy weight, don't use your tendon as a spring, so it's going to allow you to squat probably a lot more pain-free. We may have to adjust the load a little bit, but that'll allow you to still load, improve your load tolerance level from what we were at, 10 degrees, try to go to 10 and 11 and 12. So yeah. our goal is to try to improve your load tolerance level so that the next time eventually, when you guys go to squat that 10 by 10 again, yep. and yeah. it's an 18, you're good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously a very simplistic Do way to like look at using, it. Um, like eccentric loading or isometric loading for isometric loading is yeah. great for stage one now here's why isometric loading it's got to be heavy can't be a wall set yeah it's got to be like a spanish squad it's going to put so much force on the leg and specifically on the tendon that research has shown five sets 45 seconds will decrease pain in the tendon right after if we're like true patellar tendinopathy yeah. for upwards of 45 minutes and it will decrease cortical inhibition. Now, what the heck does that mean? It means that basically you get your strength back. Yeah, yeah. Pain inhibits muscle function. So if you have a lot of knee pain, your quads aren't going to be functioning as well as they should. They're not going to be turning on and creating that muscle strength, that contraction. So by doing a good Spanish squat, it's going to, if it's true tendinopathy, again, a lot of people think that they have it and they yeah, really don't, yeah. you will feel better afterwards. And yeah. then you do your strength work. It is yeah. around a lot. Tendinitis or tendinopathy these days, like yeah. two weeks of pain, they're like oh, tendinopathy. But realistically, what well, what do you think that's kind of impression in joint or something like that? Yeah. So if you think about it like this, true tendinopathy has three things. The first thing is that it's going to be very point tender. You point to one specific spot, the pain stays there and it doesn't change with yeah. what you're doing. Usually for uh, patellar tendinopathy, it's right at the kneecap connection to the patellar tendons, the inferior pole. Or it could be at the uh, the connection of the tendon to the tibia, that yeah. little nub that sticks out right there. That's one. Mm -hmm. The second thing is it's load related. So you do a body weight squat, you test your pain. Let's say it's like zero to ten. Yeah. Zero is no pain. Ten is the yeah. worst pain you could think of. Let's say a body weight squat's on one out of ten pain. Do a single leg squat next. What's that? You just took your entire body weight and you shifted it to one leg, so you increase load. So let's say you do a single leg squat to three out of ten pain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now let's load the tendon even more. Let's yeah, use it yeah. like a spring. So we do 10 tuck jumps in a row. Oh, that's a 6 out of 10 pain. Yeah. There you go. That's the second thing. You just confirmed a little bit more tendinopathy, load-related pain. Yeah. Okay? Last thing, you do the Spanish squat, particularly for patellar tendon pain. If you do the patellar tendon uh, isometric like you should, five sets of 45 seconds, most people feel better directly after. Yeah, now, that's what just research is showing us for the patellar tendon and quad tendon that the Spanish squat or an isometric, heavy isometric, usually it's it's got to be heavy. So it's got to yeah. be 70% of max voluntary uh, contraction. So that's why a uh, just wall sit yeah. won't give you the same response. It's not heavy enough. Yeah, if you yeah. can do a wall sit for 45 seconds and you get done, you're like, eh, I could do like at least another yeah. minute. Yeah. I mean, I've had like 12-year-olds do 13 yeah. minutes. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not heavy enough. Yeah. You do a Spanish squat the right way, yeah. your quads yeah. are going to be burning like crazy. That's how you know you did it right. And afterwards, you will feel less pain most of the time. Now, that's just the patellar tendon. There's other tendons in the body, especially like uh, upper body, that don't respond the exact yeah. same to isometrics. So it's a little bit different. But the patellar tendon and quad tendon has been shown in research to be very helpful for that. Yeah, that's I tended off the in my knee a few years ago, and it was diagnosed from an MRI. Mm -hmm. And you could see like on the quadriceps tendon and on the patellar tendon, you could see degradation of the, the actual tendon itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like the rehab I was given was just isometrics. Yeah. And nothing heavy. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Isometrics are great, but it's only step one because here's the deal. Isometrics don't increase your load tolerance level. They only take away pain with some people and increase the about or the ability to contract the muscle. So it doesn't improve the load tolerance capacity. Yeah. That's the reason why you got injured in the first place. So if you just do isometrics and you take off all squatting, your load tolerance level starts to load or starts to decrease. Oh, yeah. That's why for like a weightlifter or power lifter, if you go on a vacation for like a week or two, let's say you just hit done, you got done with nationals. You're like, Hey, peace out. I'm going to go lay on a beach mm-hmm. yeah. for a week. You don't do anything. If you come back and jump straight into training, heavy training, you don't have like a ramp up week or anything like that. Your likelihood of exceeding your low tolerance level increases because during that week or two off, your tendons are adapting to yeah. not being loaded. It's very fluid, so like adaption of tendons is very, exactly. very, very short. Yeah, time. exactly. So yeah, so that's I mean a, a lot. That's a reason why a weightlifter who's very elite yeah. can yeah. train yeah. two to three times a day yeah. for yeah, five days yeah. in a row, and they're good. But a non-elite athlete, they jumped and try to do that. Yeah. And they're yeah, going to run crazy. into problems. It's because the elite athlete has been training like that for years. Yeah. So their tendons have adapted to being able to tolerate that, that much load. Whereas the newbie who hasn't done much in a while, they've got their tendons are at the 10. Yeah. Right? They need yeah. to adapt to be able to try something like that. So that's yeah. why I always hesitate when people are like, hey, let's try a squat everyday program. Yeah. Not that that yeah. can't be bad for, or good, you know, mm. bad for some people, but yeah. for some people, it's most, bad for people, most, people. <laughs> both, most people don't squat every day. No. Yeah. Most yeah, people squat yeah. like once a week. Yeah. So if you've gone from jump from once a week and you jump straight to seven days a week, yeah. that's a lot of load very fast. So you're saying you think small off is a bad idea? I'm saying small <laughs> off for 99% of people yeah. is probably a bad idea. That's um, the amount know. of people we get asking us about the programs. Yeah. And they're, we're getting some info off them when we're speaking to them like at the start and they're training two or three times a week. And, but they want to make their big step into weightlifting or they want to take it really seriously or they have a competition mm-hmm. coming up. The amount of people who think four days a week isn't enough. Can I do six days a yeah. week? Yeah. Can I do six? Like, and they want like constantly want more or they get the first the first two weeks of all our blocks are fairly light and it's like a really ramped progression. The amount of people who are, oh, do you mind if I bump this up by 10 kilos? Like, no, yes, we do mind. <laughs> yes. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, pe- people always think yeah. more is better. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they don't realize that professional weightlifters, elite weightlifters, they didn't start when they were 20. Yeah. 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 Most weightlifters started when they were very young. Like yeah. At least the yeah. most elite ones. Eight to 10. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and they're not having to sit in a car and commute to work. Yeah. Or they're exactly. not having to sit at a desk. Or I've, um, I, I know we're short on time, so we have a few minutes left. So mm-hmm. there's a question that we get a lot. And um, it's you've probably answered it <laughs> endlessly. It's, um, do you think butt wink is a performance reducer? And do you think it can lead to injury? Or do you yeah. think it's just something that, if so, then how would you get rid of it? Great question. Uh, do I think it's a performance reducer? It depends. Probably not as much of a performance reducer. Now, here's what happens. Butt wink technically is describing the pelvis being pulled under the body. Now, yeah. ideally, when we look at the spine in the way the hips are aligned, there's a slight curve to the low back called lordosis. Yeah. And then the pelvis is sitting right there. So if we're in a neutral spinal position, we're very strong like yeah. a radio tower straight up and down with its connection to the ground. And then the guy wires coming off the tower, that's all the core muscles right there. Well, as you go down into the squat, for some people, their pelvis will turn under their body. Now, what happens with that is you have all of a sudden a flexion movement of the back. So the back leaves its natural curve of slight extension and it starts to move into a little bit of flexion. Yeah. Now, what that does is it creates a stress concentration of flexion on like one or two parts of the low back. Over time, for some people, that can create 
an injury to the back. Research has shown they've done biomechanical studies of the spine where they have taken these spinal segments and they've done flexion extension over and over again. And then they do flexion extension with load going straight down. So compression. And the spine models that had flexion and extension over and over with compression developed injuries. That's the mechanism that created yeah. disc bulge. What kind of injuries were they developing? Usually a disc, disc bulge, bulge in the back. So basically the annulus, the very middle yeah. of the disc became so pressurized with the compression, but because of the flexion extension movement, yeah. it weakened some of the fibers that surrounds it, the rings, yeah. the fibers that surround the disc and basically the inner disc works its way out. So that's how a disc bulge happens. It's flexion and extension under compression. Okay. Now, if we're just talking about a body weight squat, it's not much compression, yeah. right? Yeah. So if someone's sitting in the bottom of a bodyweight squad, just resting, yeah. I'm not going to scream at them, but wait, that's yeah, the worst yeah, thing yeah, ever. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. if we're a weightlifter and we're seeing that at the bottom, it's also, it's like a, it depends. Mm-hmm. Just like there's different branches of a tree and some tree branches bend really easily. And yeah. Some tree branches, you start to bend them and they're going to snap. Yeah. Everyone's back's a little bit different. So yeah. there's not like a predetermined 1000 bends. Yeah leads to a disc bulge. Everyone's different, but the mechanism is still there. Now, yeah. again, it's yeah. the degree. Yeah. Is it a huge turn under or is it a tiny turn under? Yeah. The big thing we want to understand is that for someone with a current history of back pain okay. and we test them and we find out that movement of their spine is a trigger for their back pain, yeah. them squatting and getting into butt wink is causing them pain. So yes. I probably want to change up their squat to try to minimize that as much as possible because that's their trigger. Yeah. If I take a completely healthy athlete yep. and they butt wink a lot, is it the worst thing in the world right now? No, they don't have pain. Yeah. Yeah. Could it be in the future? Potentially. So yeah. how does, let's say weightlifter now, he's squatting, currently has no pain, but he has some, let's say, 100 being terrible butt wink and zero mm-hmm. being nothing. Let's say he's 20, 30. How does that weightlifter go about deciding if this is going to be a problem down the line? How, how would he figure it out himself if it's an issue? It's going to have to be a question he's going to ask himself. How much risk does he want to impose yeah. on his body? Yeah. Because right now he's 20-some years old, yeah. and he's healthy, and he's feeling good. And yeah. a lot of times, uh, hindsight's always 20-20. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because if he's yeah. 80 years old and has back issues. Yeah, yeah. it's too late. Like. Yeah, exactly. But right now, we're all very hard-headed. Yeah. yeah. I'm pain-free. Yeah, Who yeah. are you to tell me that I'm yeah, going to hurt yeah, my yeah. back? I'm not pain-free. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So it, yeah, it's always yeah. one of the things. You have to have yeah. a very hard discussion with yourself and determine yeah. whether or not you want to weigh the risk, yeah. the odds, you know, the, the risk-reward ratio. Because here's yeah. the thing, and I got this from uh, Blaine Sumner, the humongous powerlifter oh, in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he always said uh, that it's like touching the dragon's tail. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. How much do you want to grab it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to grab it? Are you going to get bit? Yeah. yeah. Turn yeah. around. Yeah. I don't know. But as a weightlifter or powerlifter, that's yeah. in you know a competitive yeah. season. It's part of your sport. Here you go. So it's it's yeah. it's part of the sport, but it's also like, do we you know what can we do? Can yeah. we modify yeah. it? And some people, you know, getting a lot more ankle mobility could be something that helps yeah. modify it. Maybe changing stance width. Maybe not squatting all the way down for Wait, that are person. You, you okay with that? So let's say weightlifter asks the grass, you know, no knee sleeves, no belt, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Are you okay with them cutting their depth by maybe half or three quarters? You think there's issues arising there? Yeah, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think there's a lot of it depends. I, yeah. I mean, we've seen, I mean, with all the videos that like All Things Gym and Hook Grip, I mean, there's some weightlifters that are elite that don't squat as to grass. Now, yeah. I yeah. think ideally as a weightlifter, we use the squat as an assistant exercise. Yeah. Yeah. We're not competing in the squat. Something often forgotten, I think. Exactly. Yeah. So our goal with the squat should be to mimic as much as possible our depth yeah. with the clean so that we can strengthen that bottom position. I yeah. mean, I know like, so I work a lot with Chad Vaughn and he does a lot of stuff as far as educational content for weightlifters. And he's big on like, you should be as deep 
and try to use the same squat stance. Why use a wide squat stance if you're going to catch your cleans a little bit more narrow? Yep. It should be yeah. very similar so that you have carryover. Yeah. So in that instance, you know, give and take, yep. you know, yeah. it's something that you're going to have to have a conversation with your coach about and whatnot. Okay, last question. Okay. What's the most stupid thing you've ever done in training? The stupidest thing yeah. I've ever done in training? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I Okay, here's – we talked about how the snatch is – the movement I hate the most, yeah. Yeah. right? And it's a love-hate because when you get it, oh, there it is. It's yeah. easy. And you're like, what the heck? I remember one time I was trying to go for a PR. I think I probably took 13 attempts nice. and missed 12. <laughs> and I made the who last the, one. Made the, the last one? Exactly. But, nice. I mean, how many times do you, like, you know, you, you yeah. do a couple misses and your coach is like, hey, dumbass, yeah, yeah, yeah. stop yeah. lifting it. Go down and hit a couple at 10% less. And my coach is like, oh, it's much better. And she was also, you know, seeing other people. And I'm like hard-headed. I'm like, oh, I'm right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time was getting that much better. Did you yeah. get it? I, I finally got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 12, <laughs> you know, 13 reps later, yeah. I'm trying to hit a new PR. But We don't endorse that behavior. <laughs> no. We might do it every so often. When yeah. We don't yeah. It. Do, do what we say, not as we do. Yeah. Kind yeah, of that, thing. That is a lot of yeah. what we do. No, we really appreciate you coming on. Yes. Yeah. Great hey, to thank talk you guys to. so much for having um, me on. And the seminar is really interesting. The yeah. bits we've seen, yeah. Um, yeah. really, really cool. We might try to do this again in the future, but most likely be a Zoom or a Skype interview. Um, for sure. Yeah. Hopefully we can go more in depth with kind of technical stuff and definitely yeah. be more free reign. We're a bit limited on time today, but it was absolutely a pleasure to have you on for even the time we got. Yeah, brilliant. Please try thank and fix guys. Owen. For yeah. sure. We'll do our best. Thanks very much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, Eric. Thanks.